this morning. The atmosphere is so ripe for what God is doing. One of the things that we value at TGP, it's our core value, it's our conviction, is that we believe in passionate praise. We really believe that. And so part of that requires you to be open to spontaneous worship. And I hope by now in these last six years, going on our seventh year, that it's become convincing to you that we actually believe that. (laughs) That the core of our being is that praise is ought to be something we're passionate about. For he said in his word, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. And so, therefore, we're going to give God praise and glory. So, with your Bibles, I want you to turn to an Old Testament book. There's two books after this particular person, the book of Samuel. I would like for you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, where we will be spending the majority of our time. And I thank God for Pastor Betty and Minister Blaine as they ministered the last two Uh, Sundays, they did a wonderful time of ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so glad and so honored that I get to labor with them in in the things of God. And so um, I heard great things are happening in Upper Sandusky. We had a meeting with some influential people in Upper Sandusky, and we we just let them know we're praying for them. Amen. We're praying for them. The worst thing the enemy could have done was show up. Come on. Come on. He started it first. Come on. You know what I'm saying? And so, oh, oh, so you want to do that now? All right. I see what you're trying to do. And so, um, Jesus is Lord in Upper Sandusky. We put a billboard up there. Come on, somebody. A billboard went up there declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that devil, demons, didn't like that. Um, But God is good. Amen. And we are not intimidated at all. He may try to spook us, but we're not intimidated. Amen. And so we look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, and, and I'm really excited about this message because um, over the years when the year begin, when the year begins and people get a word and they say all sorts of things, I have never felt this way in probably the last two decades, how I'm feeling right now, that God wants his people to pray. Um, I'm still not watching TV on Facebook yet. God's like, nope, I want you to just settle and just pray. And that's not for anybody else. I'm just simply telling you that um, January 1st was an eye-opening for me. It was an eye-opener for me. And then the next day. And so I believe it's caused me to look at God's word from a different perspective. I look at God's word for prayer now. I'm looking at it just to get a message. I look at it for prayer. And it's easy for me to look and say, what's the next message going to be? But it's really about a book of prayers. It's really about God communicating his heart to us. And so the reason why I'm going to be teaching you this pastorally and prayerfully, apostolically, this message will be received, is that in 1 Samuel chapter 12, we see something interesting that's taking place in the life of God's people, the nation of Israel. At this particular time in the nation's history, they were led by judges. Uh, We first see how they were led out of Egypt by Moses, the prophet, led them out of Egypt. And so God gave instructions for them of how he wanted them to conduct themselves. And so as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, what we see is that this is the farewell speech of Samuel, the prophet, and Israel's last judge. So what we see is a transition taking place 
and a changing of the guard, so to speak. But what we must understand is that some transitions are because of people's wants and some transitions are because of God's will. And we land in this place where we have to discern which one because it's dangerous not to know your wants and God's will. It's dangerous. Someone say it's dangerous. I ask you to say that because I want to make sure you're awake because it is dangerous to not discern between your wants and God's will. In transitions, especially in transitions and change. We know there are certain transitions of where you depart from this world, but you live for all eternity in heaven. And that's God's will that none should perish, but all should come unto what? Repentance, right? And so transitions are part of life. They really are. But as we look at this particular text, we're seeing the significance of this because this is where the nation of Israel now has, 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 has made a decision and Samuel now is given his farewell speech regarding that decision. Um, being the last judge is significant because we have to wonder now Has God changed his mind? What is God doing as we see this transition unfolding? And so Samuel gives what I believe some instructions as he writes about it for us today. And so by the grace and the help of God, if you pray with me, we'll be able to navigate this and get the heart of God for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the nuggets of truth that will be dropped Greater than gold and silver, your word is tremendously powerful. And we pray, God, as people are going through individual uh, uh, transitions, we pray your hand will continue to guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So where we're going to land first is uh, 1 Samuel 12, verse 23. We're going to look at that. If you want to go there, um, I encourage you to do that now. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. But before we get there, let me summarize for you the first 19 verse. Nick Batzing, Nick Batzing summarizes this chapter in such a great way. I felt it was appropriate just to quote and give you uh, the cold notes of the first 19 verses. It says, the great leaders in Israel history, the great leaders in Israel history also often gave farewell addresses. This is seen in Moses' farewell speech as Israel transitioned to the leadership of Joshua in Deuteronomy chapters 31 all the way to chapter 33. We see when Moses was leaving, he said Joshua is the replacement. Joshua is the one where God's hands is on him. And so Moses encourages them about how they should live, enter into the promised land. And so Samuel also gave his own farewell speech as God's people transitioned to the leadership of King Saul. And that's where we land now in 1 Samuel chapter 12. In both of these speeches, I'm continuing to quote, the outgoing leader highlights the way in which he conduct himself, the work of God, and a call for the people to remain committed to God. So in every transition that is biblical and that is right, what you will hear is that they will highlight the way in which they conduct themselves with integrity and with honoring God's word. 
It is very important that you recognize who is leading you. And so here, Samuel was telling them that as a leader, my life wasn't perfect, but what I desired was the heart of God. He says, if you look at my life, and obviously if you look at the way my children are, he says, I know that you can talk about that, but the one thing I want you to know is this, that I did everything in my power to honor God and to keep his commandments. That's somebody that I would love to follow. It's someone whose desire is to follow the heart of God. I shared with the congregation, I said, if we only preach what we're living, we preach less messaging and God will probably show up more. Because there will be an element inside of us that says, I'm not there yet, so I'm not going to preach about that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do a work in me first, and then I will go ahead and preach that. And that's very important when we recognize that institutions today are collapsing because of lack of integrity. Can I get a witness for that? Who do we trust? Who do we believe in? What are people building? He also talked about the work of God. And I love how Samuel, if you're in this chapter, we're going to get to verse 23. But Samuel says, isn't it the harvest time? Isn't it time for, for, for you to, to be blessed? And he says, I'm going to call thunder and lightning to come. And the Bible says that it thundered and the lightning and the people feared God and Samuel. Not they were afraid, they feared God and Samuel. There's a big difference between being afraid of God and fearing God. And because we're afraid of God, we desire more our wants than we do God's will because we have no idea what it means to fear and reverence God. And so Samuel is getting into this place now where they must understand that when you're facing transitions, you must recognize that there is an aspect that is so important that you must get to this place of when God shows up, when God's work is being performed, your response, my response is to fear God and say, what an awesome, powerful, mighty, omnipotent, omnipresent God we serve. Can I get one person to give God, hand, give God a, a hand of praise for what he's doing? God, I want to see you at work. Come on, somebody. I want to see your mighty hand stretch out and block the work of the enemy. Come on. God, I want to see you do a deep work in my family. The work of God. Someone say the work of God. Allow God to do his perfect work. The Bible says don't prevent God's perfect work from taking place in your life. I got to get to a place where I fear God. And keep his commandment. The writer of Ecclesiastes says. We must raise up our children not to be afraid of God. He's not the boogeyman in the closet. God is to be feared and reverenced and awe because of who he is. And we must restore testimony service again. It wasn't just for the saints of old. We're too quiet about what God is doing in our life. We're, we're, we're too dignified now. We, we, we don't need to, to, to elevate God anymore because technology has replaced God and, and, and our, our psychology has replaced God. But I'm here to tell you, testify. Let people know that God is still good in your life. And Samuel wanted the people to know that God is doing a work. He's doing a work. In this ministry, he's doing a work in my life. He's doing a work in your life. God doesn't do a job. God does a work. 
Come on, somebody. That's a great place to say amen. God doesn't do a job as if you're a project. No, God does a work in your life because God is a father and God wants to transform your life. Uh, See, God rested from his work, not from a job. And so we have to look at the work of God that he's doing in our lives. If God is not a work in your life, ask him, God, show me what it is that you're doing. Because I know if you're working my life, you're going to work it out for my good. And so the prophet wanted them to know. And then finally, where we're going to land is in a call for the people to remain committed to God. And so if you're committed to God, those are the people that effectively pray. The people who are committed to God are the people that know how to effectively, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. So I say all this because now we land on verse number 23 of First Samuel, chapter 12. And it says in the English Standard Version, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by season to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Now, the title of this message if you haven't seen it yet on the screen, is I will pray for you. I will pray for you. You don't have to put your hands up, but if you're breathing this morning, it means you're alive. Every one of us have needs. Every single one of us has a need. We don't know yet if it's a want or the will, but every one of us has a need. In Matthew 6, Jesus even says that the Father knows you have need of these things. And so the question that really comes to mind is, is when he said, I will pray for you. When you make this statement, is because you actually understand prayer. Someone could say, you're in my thoughts, and that's just being a nice person. But it's not really changing anything. It's not, it's not really moving the heart of God. Are you with me so far? That, that people mean well. I'll pray for you because it's just a nice thing to say. But don't you want someone who's going to pray for you actually know how things work? (laughs) Or you're wasting your breath. Or you wonder, why is God not doing this? And God is saying, well, the person who says they're praying for you have no clue what prayer is. And so because we're not religious people, because we're church folks, we should then be able to say with authority, I will pray for you. Because I know how God works. We haven't got to your want or the will yet. But one thing I do know is I know how God works. Mm. That he's a God of principles. He's, He's a God who answers prayer. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is because here Samuel was saying, and ready for this? He says, I will pray for you because it's actually a sin against God not to pray for you. Let that sink in. So we're trying to debate what sin is. And here he's talking about it is actually a sin against God not to pray for you. Why? Because the, the, the disciples didn't say teach us how to preach. They said teach us how to pray. Jesus says my house shall be a house of what? So if there is sin in someone's life, it's probably they don't know how to pray. That is so good. Amen. Let me pause right there for a second. So you tell me the sin is in my life because I don't know how to pray? Yes. Yes. Because even Jesus says, 
Pray this way. Deliver me not into temptation. Deliver me from all evil. That was a prayer. I'm not saying that there's not God's will and not your want that got you in trouble in the first place. Can I teach this thing? You know I'm going to go to Genesis, right? You, you just know I'm going to do that. By now you should know that. And so they go and what happened? They saw the fruit. It was what? Desires to make what? what? Wise. As opposed to praying, they were staring. Come on. Instead of praying, they were playing. And if they would have prayed God's word, they would have known the work of God's hands. And so because of that, they went ahead and were disobedient, right? And all of that. And so they hid from God. And so I'm here to tell you that the Bible says, and here's just God's heart now. When you tell someone, I will pray for you, you're telling them because it's a sin against God not to pray for you. And so as a church, we pray for everybody. We pray for those in authority, whether you voted or not. Come on, when it's the other way around, you frown, right? Come on, right, right. So, so whenever, who's ever occupies the Oval Office, we pray. Why? Because the Bible says it's a sin against God not to pray. That perhaps the reason why they're living like that, because ain't nobody praying. Pray actually works. And Jesus prayed more than anything. He wandered the heart of the Father. And so here is the prophet Samuel. When someone says, I will pray for you, the first point is this. What they're saying is that the reason why I'm going to pray, yes, I'll be honest with you, it's because it's a duty for me to pray for you. It's not a delight yet because I don't know if I've been like you. And you talk bad about me. And I'm figuring if you're a foe or a friend, I don't know yet. But guess what? I'm going to pray for you. Because it's sin against God, the one who does the work in your life, not to pray for you. We talk about loving people, but pray for them. Pray for them, right? I'm I'm hearing this word in my spirit. I'm telling you right now. Tell your kids, pray. The enemy doesn't fight you when you praise God. That's just your own flesh, whether you like the lyrics or you're not. You know what I mean? And if your type of music, if you like country, you like rap, whatever, that's more the emotion. Praise is really the emotion. Are you with me? Because we can bring Maverick, we can bring a group here, we can bring Snap, we can bring anybody here, and it gets, and the place is packed. The lights and everything like that, packed, and you, you paid money to buy a seat to be around a bunch of people you don't even know. A, a super spreader, and you go to it, right? But when it comes to prayer, oh my gosh, because we don't really think it's a sin against God not to pray. And so the prophet is saying, it's a sin against God. He says, I will pray for you because it's a sin against God not to pray for you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and verse 18 tells us this way. Pray without ceasing. So even the apostle Paul says this. The verse before it says, rejoice evermore. And the verse says, give thanks in all things for this is what? The will of God. And so the reason why, the reason why, and I'm there as well, and I never looked at it until I'm reading the scripture. So God has said, I've never seen this scripture before. I probably read it before, but I've never seen it before. And God is saying, Pastor, you got to pray 
this year more than ever. Not because it's a fearful thing, but because it's a faithful thing. It's because God wants to work in our lives. God wants to work in this nation. And he's telling people, I've covenant with you. And the only way is through prayer. You realize when Jesus came that there was someone praying, right? That they were praying. That they were actually praying. And so when they brought the baby, they're like a fulfillment of prayer. They're actually praying things in. And so the enemy fights us, folks, on prayer. It was not a coincidence. I'm telling you, this is what I witnessed. This is the work of God that I witnessed. That what am I doing in Upper Sandusky on the first of the year? Come on. You're being married. What am I doing up there? But it's a God-ordained. For us to be there as a family, doing what? Praying. Praying. And so I had to participate, not just because there are family members who attend this church of the, you know, the person who was murdered, but, but, but I had to do it because I'm realizing now that God is teaching me something. Then the next day we see the nation praying. I'm here to tell you, church, I know it's a new month, but I haven't stopped praying. Because I look at the word of God and it's telling me it's a sin against God not to pray. And I don't want to sin against God. And so I'm going to make a commitment to pray. And so on Wednesday, I told the group we here on Wednesday, I want you to write out your heart of prayer and the habit that you have that prayer works for you. What is the habit? What are the things that you do that makes your prayer successful? Teach us. Because I want to know, how do you do it? So we can learn together, so we can be a church that prays. And so I start to pray this way. I said, God, um, um, we, we have creative meetings to have this amazing service and, and, and how to have creative sermons, creative sermons that keep everybody's attention. And we spend all that time and we never say, God, give us creative ways to pray. I've never heard, hey, this is creative meaning how we can creatively pray. I've never heard it. How can we get people in? And how can we do all those things? Pray. I, I, I know that. That's step number three. But the first thing is this. You got to do this. You gotta, we don't start with, if you want to grow a church, teach a church to pray. <laughs> right? It's not about numbers. God is like, seriously? I add it to the church daily. We're talking about numbers. You really think you're that creative that you can bring people into the church. My God, you really have lost it. And God is saying the only way you grow by numeric numbers is if you take me out because now people won't be convicted. But if you want a healthy church, bring me in. Come on. And they will recognize, oh my gosh, we've been sinning all this time. No wonder the nation is going the way it is. No wonder our leaders are corrupt. No wonder we're seeing kids losing their minds. No wonder we're seeing all this stuff. The church has stopped praying. They take it out of the schools, and you now wonder what's going on in the schools. And they're asking the question, what is going on, Doc? You took prayer out. Gosh, man, I only got 50 minutes because we got to do this business meeting. But, Father, we're going to repent right now. We're going to repent. Father, we ask for your forgiveness, that we have not been adamant and focused and central on prayer. And so we ask that you forgive us right now in the name of Jesus. Those watching online, those who are here, we repent for not making prayer a priority in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, now that we got that settled, now that you repented, can we go deeper? Someone say go deeper. 
So the reason why I'll pray for you, underline I will, right? I will. I didn't say I was going to pray for you. I'm telling you, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. Here's why. Because your request was evil. 1 Samuel 12, 19. Turn to there. Y'all looking at me like, what? You just are encouraged us. Now you just knocked us in the head. Right? Watch this. I will pray for you because it's a sin against God if I don't pray for you. But the reason why I will pray for you is because your request was evil. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, they made a request of God for a king. That they went and it says, we want a king like the other nations who will judge us, which God was doing, and will fight for us, which God was doing. So throughout their history, God was always their king. God was always fighting for them. They come across a battle where they see another foreign king operate, and they're like, we want a king like that. And Samuel went, and Samuel says, what? Samuel said, what are you asking? And Samuel went and says, no, no, God is your king. And what did Samuel do when this prayer request came? He went right to God and prayed. He goes, I got to pray about this, God. Because I'm hearing what people want, but there's something on the inside of me. Come on, folks. When people ask you for a prayer request, the first thing I do is make sure if it doesn't land in you with peace, you got to go before God and say, God, you got to help me with this one. Because this one doesn't sound like it matches your word. And I love them too much. I don't want to be nice. I want to be kind. Come on. Because being nice will give you what you want, and we'll see what that did. But being kind will go before the Lord and take your request and make sure it's not evil. Why? Because we all ate from the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. And you don't know how to discern it. So I've got to go to the life giver. Come on, somebody. So the first thing when I'm praying for you is I'm going to discern if your request was evil. I didn't say you're evil. I'm saying if the request was evil. You got to discern that because Jesus says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts. Was he calling them evil? He's saying the very good that you do is still evil when it comes to God. And he's not saying you're evil. He's saying the desire inside of you by that devil, by that flesh, by that abuse, that trauma, that hurt may be dictating your prayer request. And what you want is not in line with God's will because that experience gave you a false perspective, gave you a false perception on what God really wants for you. So if you love me, come on somebody, you will go before God with my request and ask, is this evil or is this life given? Woo. Oh, come on. This is hitting home. This is hitting home. Come on. This is hitting home. This is so good. Because God is at work. Someone say he's at work. And God answers prayer. Someone say amen. And so we're seeing people whose prayers are not being answered. And God says it's evil. And because you want to be nice and not kind, you couldn't even tell them that. So they could see the hand of God work. Now they're blaming me for unanswered prayer. When the reality was it was evil because it came from a desire of something outside of who I am. And so he says, your request was evil. So I pray for you because I've got to discern this thing. You feel me? I've got to make sure this thing is not evil. Because evil, spell it backwards, is live. Right? And, and, And so when you see this, you can't live backwards and expect to serve a forward moving God. You just, you can't do it. And so God wants to take you places, right? And so he says in verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die 
watch it now. If it's on the screen, let's go First Samuel 12, 19. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. He says, oh, my God, Samuel. Um, and at this time, Saul was actually doing his thing as king. Saul was functioning. Saul just won a battle. And Samuel said, I'm out of here, but I want to let you know that even though you seem like it was an answer of prayer, it wasn't. Just because something manifests in your life, it doesn't mean that God answered that prayer. <laughs> oh, look at the blessed God. That's not me. That's what you wanted. Because Samuel went to God and he was crying out. And the way that it says, literally it means Samuel said it was evil in my eyes. And so he said, I got to go pray to God to change my view. I have to go before God because what I'm looking at is this. See, we view prayer as telling God what we want instead of asking God for his will. We think prayer is informing God as opposed to inviting God. Prayer is not informing God. He knows everything. Prayer is inviting God into your thing to do his work in your life because he knows whether you believe it or not what's best for you. And so they got what they asked for, right? They did it. And so what was the issue? Why, why was there such an issue with this, especially when God says, kings are going to come out of you. He told Abraham, kings are going to come out of you. He told Moses, kings are going to come out. So it was always God's plan for there to be a what? Say with me, a king. So why was it evil? Great question, Pastor. Well, thanks for asking. The reason why it was that was because of the motive behind the request. It's not the means of how your prayer get answered. It's the motive by which you ask the prayer. You're trying to think God is a genie in a bottle you can rub. So I took him out of a religious box and put him in a bottle. That's what what the Pentecostals did. We took him out of some religious. He's not Catholic. He's not this. He's not that. Okay, great. Let's get him out of the religious box. But now we're going to put him as a genie in the bottle. And rub it and get your three wishes. God said, that's not how I flow. Your freedom wasn't meant for you to be in bondage. Your freedom was to fear me and to reverence me. And so he goes, he tells him, goes, your motive. He says, the motive is this. You want to be like all the nations. You, you want to be like everybody else. Right? And, and, and so I know we live in a, a global world, and I know that technology has, has made the world seem smaller, but we're still supposed to be, it's this word, ready? It's, it's this word we call sanctification. I know it's a long word, but it simply just means live separate. That's what it means. It's not some big theological word like, oh, we got you know, we, we to dumb it down. I'm, I gotta, I'm sorry, man. I heard this one person say this. He goes, he goes, you're not sinners. You're mistakers who need correction. You're, you're mistakers. You're just, you're just, you're just mistaken. And the reason for that, and again, why I'm saying that is because we just don't want people to get offended, right? And we're trying to reach people. So I get the means by which you're doing it, but the motive, come on, is not letting people recognize the depth of what sin really is. And so it's saying the very motive, the greatest person can have a motive that there's sin that's lying within. It's not that we just sin. It's just that sin is, is, is in 
us. Come on. It's, it's not that you just make a mistake. It's that sin that, 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 that Mr. Mark, it's, 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 there's a thing inside of us that, that just doesn't want to give God the glory. Paul writes about it. And Paul says, things I want to do, I cannot do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. But it's sin inside of me because I desire to do God's will. But there's a great want inside of me. And some days, the want is stronger than God's will. So guess what? Pray for me. Pray for me. Because I'm afraid that majority of my motives are evil. And if you can't discern that, you're reinforcing my sin. And saying that you love me. And you're just trying to be nice. You're not being kind. You got to be kind, church. Not nice. Sin is not nice. Destroying relationship is not nice. Come on, somebody. Sin is destructive. Don't be nice. Be kind. And so he went and he's talking to them. He says, your motives, you want to be like other nations. And he says, you get what you ask for. And so there are times, church, where we think that we have an answer to prayer. And the reality is that we just have what we ask for. That's all it is. And we dress it up. We put some religious language on it. And we're like, okay, this is good. And the church has no disturbance, so we just accept it. And all of a sudden, now the culture is in the church. Why? Because someone who thought God answered a prayer came in and told everybody, like, ooh, I want that too, so this must be okay by God. And the majority rules. Not the word, the majority rules. So if the majority wants this, what about we pray about it? Before they selected the next apostle, when Judas got crazy, you know what I mean, allowed the devil to come in, guess what? They prayed. And then they cast the lots. They said, God, we're going to first pray because... We're going to mess this whole thing up. No one saw Judas coming. <laughs> I mean, we ate with him. He was carrying the money. No, nobody saw Judas. Right? Except you, God. So we don't want to make a mistake again. Who, who do you have? And even in that, even in their human means of doing it, it was really the Apostle Paul that God really had in mind. So God answered that because leaven is the number of confusion. You need 12 government. So God says, you can't be released in confusion. So I'm bringing 12 to form government. You're entering kingdom now because when Jesus resurrected, he didn't go right to heaven. 40 days, he was teaching about the kingdom. And now he leaves. He says, you can't operate in confusion, church. You have to have governmental structure. And prayer needs to be the fuel. Prayer needs to be the very thing that fires up that system. Right? And so because of that, it's important. But who God really had was Saul. Not Saul of the first king, but, but Saul. And that's who God had. That's who God's will was. And so here's the issue now. So when someone gets to the place now, are you telling me that my prayer request was evil? And the answer is, um, yes. <laughs> because I looked into the word. Let me now walk you through the word. You know what we call that? Discipleship. It's called one-on-one discipleship. If everybody in this room would pick one person I'm not talking about an unsafe, because I don't know what they're coming into. If everybody here would pick somebody and disciple them, and they would grow together, there would be not enough room for all the unbelievers who would come in and be like, finally, you're living what you're preaching. You're actually walking the talk. And walking the talk means you're praying. Not just talking, you're praying. Because you're telling people, by the grace of God, there goes I. Come on. By the grace of God. And so when we see this, we have to recognize now that what is the issue then? Why is my wants so bad? Why is it that you must discern whether it's evil or not? 
Thanks for asking. He goes on in verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. <laughs> I'm calling like it is. We need some fiery preaching now, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm calling like it is, right? You have done all this evil. And what she says, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. But do what? Serve the Lord with what? So my third point is this. I would pray for you because it's a heart issue. It's not a behavior issue. It's a heart issue. I didn't say you were evil. I'm saying your heart is desperately wicked. So Jeremiah says, desperately wicked, deceitfully wicked. Not this beating thing. Talking about the heart, the center of who you are. It's desperately wicked. My grandson, is, he's the best ever. I have the mic so I can say he's the best ever. And um, if it's your grandson, grandchild, the best ever. I love being a grandpa. It's, it's the most amazing thing. Like, it's so cool. Like, Zay controls me. Like, I'll cancel appointments. Dad's like, what are you doing? I said, what do you, what do you need? I said, I can cast that appointment right now and come be with my grandson. So, but we didn't have to teach him to say no. I mean, he's already getting his own personality. I'm like, listen here, man. Listen here. You know what I mean? We're not having this now. We can discern now between your cry of like, you need something and you cry because you want something. So, shape up, you know what I mean? Type of thing. And so, it's just by nature that there is nothing we have to sit there and be like, Oh, look at all the good coming out of it. You actually have to teach him. Why? It's a heart issue, folks. It is a heart issue. And so Samuel is saying to them, he says, listen, listen, I know you did this evil, but don't turn aside from following. In other words, don't walk in condemnation. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's a heart issue, and we're going after it. I'm getting there. I'm getting, it's a heart issue. And so let's do heart surgery. Ah, come on, come on. Because he wants to take that heart out, right, and give you his heart. Well, what do you do with this heart? God's like, I don't want it. <laughs> don't give me your I don't want your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. Oh, I died so that heart would be killed. Come on, somebody. That is such, oh, I'm preaching this thing real good. I think I'm listening to it again myself. Amen. Because, because it's a heart issue. It's not a behavior. It's a heart issue. So he comes now. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. So guess what? When you pray, you won't be praying evil. Why? Because you have the heart of God. You have the heart of God. And so he goes on. It's a heart issue. Heart issue. And do not turn aside from empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. He tells them straight up. These idols are nothing. I love it. I, t- I tell people all the time, if you've not, you not heard me say this, I want you to hear this, that, that on the 2nd of January, the idol called sport was knocked down. Poof. Just boom. America for the first time. I'm not talking about the tragedy of 9-11 and what that did. I'm talking about an internal domestic idol. Boom. And they couldn't even play the sport that millions of people love to watch. One person stopped an entire sport from being played. I tell people, they went back to playing, but will the church keep praying? 
It's a heart issue, folks. Not about the sport. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It was a cardiac arrest. It was a heart issue. Come on, folks. It was a, got to get that heart beat. And it was a C, it was a heart issue. And when you're praying for people, that's what you're doing. You're getting on top of them and you realize it now. Come on. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying for me. My God, thank you for praying for me. Thank you for thank you for interceding for me. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you. Thank you for doing what was required. Cutting whatever you have to cut. Rip what you have to rip. Move the jewelry. Get everything out of the way. And say, come on, folks. And I thank you for those who made the circle around. Come on. Because when one is doing this, the other ones are praying as well. And together we will pray. Why? Because the issue is not behavior. It was a normal way. It was a normal head. It was a normal behavior. But this time, this time, it affected the heart. So I will pray for you because it's a heart issue, son, daughter. Come on. Why are you praying with me, mommy and daddy? Because there's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Why don't you like church? It's a heart issue, folks. It's not because church is born. It's a heart issue. They have other gods that they want to worship called the bed. It's a heart issue, folks. That's what it is. God is saying, America. It's a heart issue. Yes, vote correctly, but it's a heart issue. I'm feeling this thing like it's all over my toes, man. It's a heart issue, guys. It's recognizing your motives. We want to be like everybody else. As opposed to recognizing they already had a king. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper and a two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit and of joint and moral, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the what? Of the heart. Folks, you got to know each other's heart, man. It's not a skin issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, folks. That's perpetrated by a skin. It's a heart issue at the core of it, church. Now, the world can keep talking what it is, but church, we know what it is. It's a heart issue. You can't pray for me and hate me. You can't talk behind my back and then come in front of me. Come on. It's a heart issue. And so I would pray for you because this is what it comes down to when it's a heart issue. We have to pray for this. I will pray for you, watch this now, to know. That word's important, to know. Write that word, K-N-O-W, to know. It's the extension of the word knowledge. So it's to know. It's to have knowledge. And we're going to dive deep into this, not this Sunday. You don't want to miss a Sunday in February. I'm telling you right now, I'm feeling this thing. My hair is about to grow back. Not literally, but my hair is about to grow back. Get my afro again with the part. Remember, babe? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get mine. I will pray for you, TGP. I will pray for you, those watching online. I will pray for you to know how God sees you. And so in 1 Samuel 12, 22, it says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because that's pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
Oh, my God. For his great name's sake. For his great name's sake. He's going to make you a people for himself. If that doesn't turn you on, oh my gosh, I don't know. You must be dead, right? Because the issue is that he said, I'm going to make you a people for myself. That you are his chosen race. You are his royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are people for his own possessions. That you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you tracking with me, TGP? Are you tracking with me? I'm telling you, I'm going to pray for Pastor Rowe. These are the steps in order to do it. Because why? I want God to work in my life. And I want you to know that God works through your prayer. Are you following me so far? That when you open up your mouth, you have access to Abba Father. If you're praying to a God you don't believe works, close your mouth. You're doing worse. You're praying to empty things. You're wasting your breath that you're going to need to live a long life. You're a practicing atheist. You're just being nice. But how many know that we have a war that's taking place? Come on, somebody. That we need people who know how to access heaven, my God. We need to know people that know how to get the horn of the altar and shake it like the mothers and the fathers of all used to do. God, do it again, Lord, do it again. Oh, my God. I will pray for you to know how God sees you. You're seeing yourself defeated. That's a heart issue. You're seeing yourself not worthy. That's a heart issue. You're seeing yourself based on that experience. That's a heart issue. You're seeing yourself based on what happened to you. That's a heart issue. And it's difficult. No wonder it's hard to pray. You don't see yourself as God sees you. All Zaid has to do to get my attention is this. He can't even, I mean, he's speaking, but he can't even like, oh, you want Reggie? Boom. And when he comes by the office, this is our routine. I t- and I walk him around the church. I'm like, hey, buddy, give him mom a chance to eat, eat some food and do her thing. And I'm like this. And he's getting big, he's getting heavy, but I'm like, okay, I can do this thing. I'm like, Blaine, what kind of son is that? Son's heavy, man. Because need to know he has access to his grandfather simply by stretching out his hands. Ooh, come on. Just stretch. Come on, come on, come on. Just stretch out your hands. You have a father in heaven. Come on. And that's why they mean you think worship we're told to raise your hand is because you want to get, you know, called out. No, come on. You have a father in heaven that wants you to see how he sees you. Come on. That you're his people. And as we face transition, church, the same God who started this journey is the same God who's gonna bring us all the way through. So it's no longer. I'm going to pray. I will pray for you. Because if I don't see your hand stretched towards heaven, I know something's going on. Because when you get a glimpse of heaven, when you get a glimpse of who Jesus is, when you get a revelation of how good God is, I don't care who it is, I don't care what it is, nothing will stop you from giving God praise and glory. That you will get all dignified as David did. That you would get out of your comfort zone and get into the end zone. Come on, I thought I heard a sermon about that. That you'll get into the end zone. Why? Because we're in the red zone. 
Come on, somebody. And so I'm going to stretch. Come on, church. Stretch. Daddy, I need you, my God. I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every day I need you. So, what do I want you to see? I want you to see God's will. And so, here it is now. Oh, my God. Here it is. They said, Jesus, um, how do we pray? And he says this. I'll pray according to King Jesus. And King Jesus says, when you pray, he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's always been about the will of God. Because when you see and experience the will of God, you will see the work of God because it will confirm the word of God. Write that down. My last point is that I'm closing my Bible. That you pray for the will of God so you can see the work of God, which confirms the word of God in your life. And because the word of God is working in your life, you will say it is a sin not to pray for you. Can you imagine a church that's praying for each other? You'll see a lot more deliverances without anybody have to lay hands. We're, we're going we're to jump into our, our business meeting. We want to invite every one of you to please stay for it if you want to get an update of what's going on. We encourage that. And also, there's a bunch of stuff that was left over. There's a lost and found. My wife makes sure I want to tell you this. So if, you, if you've lost something, um, it's found. Amen. It's, it's like Jesus went and found the lost sheep. You know, we found your lost thing. So, so I don't know where it is, but there's something out there with a bunch of stuff in there. And yeah, you can, it, it, right in that corner over there. The boss says it's right in that corner over there. So well, here's what I want to do, which I think is, is so important. Um, can you imagine being part of a church where we're praying for each other? I believe it's Acts chapter 12. I believe it's Acts 12. Um, God's at work, and Herod is upset. And so he already he killed James with a sword. He killed him and brought fear amongst the people. And they arrested Peter. And, and, and they got Peter. They locked him up. And one man was so powerful that to have legions of, that have like quadrants of soldiers around him. One man. One fisherman. Uneducated fisherman. With God is more dangerous. Come on. Oh, let that sink you because you got to know who you are. He was an uneducated fisherman that met Jesus. And now he's the most dangerous person that Herod. Who was the authority? So we got to get other authority to hold him down. Because of what God has put on your life, the enemy's trying to hold you down. He's trying to lock you up. And you wonder why there's restriction taking place. And the Bible says this time, doesn't say when they killed James what they were doing. I want to believe they were praying. But it says this time, prayer was made of the church without ceasing. They realized we sinned by not going to God and praying for James. But we're not going to do that again when it comes to Peter. And the Bible says they had a prayer meeting. Come on, folks. 
They had a prayer meeting. And as they were praying God's will, God was at work. Wake up, Peter. And the chains fell off. Come on. Nobody went and got a key and unlocked it. God was at work and God just like, boom, come off. Oh, you got to hear what I'm saying. There was a group of people at TGP praying. And there was someone who was locked up. Come on. Because they were being a witness. They were giving testimonies. They were declaring the works of God. They weren't shy. They were bold. They were telling their family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the enemy says, I got to lock you up. But what he did was he invigorated a prayer meeting. Come on. Peter, we're praying for you. Hold on, buddy. And God slapped Peter and woke him up. And Peter thought he was in a dream. Oh, no, baby. You are caught. You are afraid of him. And the soldiers, he's just stepping over them. Excuse me. I'm an answer to prayer. Excuse me. I'm an answer to prayer. Excuse me. I'm an answer to prayer. Excuse me. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm an answer to prayer. Come on. Excuse me, enemies. I'm an answer to prayer. Somebody is praying for me. There's a church somewhere that's praying. So the needle is being dropped. The pill is being dropped. The gun is being put down. Come on, church. If my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and know my will. I will do a work that you have to say to God. So he gets to the gate. And the gate opened on its own. I'm talking this heavy gate opened on its own. We're seeing the hand of God at work. I'm going to tell you right now, God's opening gates for you. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Come on, he's opened gates for you. First, he's taking the chains off of you. And now he's, oh, oh, I feel this thing in the name of Jesus. My God, my God. Come on, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Chains are falling off. So now I can reach to Daddy God. Come on. I can reach to my Heavenly Father. I can say, I'm a Father. My hands are free to worship me. My hands are free to worship you. You won't make progress until you know your hands are free. Because when your hands are free, then you realize the same God that set me free is now moving me. Come on. My hands are free. Come on, let's worship him together. Let's worship him together. Lift up your hands, all ye people, because you're free.